This is KSL's Religion Today, a weekly look at religion and spirituality here at home and around the world. Now, here's your host, Martin Tanner, on KSL News Radio. Welcome. This is Religion Today. I'm your host, Martin Tanner. I got a little bit of a spanking after last week's show. I was trying to describe the reasons why people can have diverse points of view in the restored gospel of Jesus Christ and still be good, faithful members of the church. So people listening won't think I'm sort of off the rails. I wanted to today, in reverse order, talk about some of the reasons, just just a few, just the highlights of why I believe in God, in Jesus, in a restored gospel, and in things spiritual beyond this life. So I hope this is of value to you. Away we go. One of the, well, in reverse order I mentioned, so here we go, science. To me, science is without question, if you look at the evidence, the indicator of an intelligent mind behind all of the creation of the universe and this earth in particular. If you look at DNA, it is something like a computer code. It is a code of some kind, computer or not, that will allow someone to replicate an entire animal. DNA would not come about just by pure chance. If you were to look at the odds for its creation, it would be greater than all of the planets, uh, galaxies in the universe. It is just astronomical. And if you take a look at the other things that would be required for life on Earth without an intelligent creator, the odds go up even higher. What am I talking about? The incredible series of hundreds of things that have to be just right. The heat here on the earth, the temperature range, the level of gravity, the fact that water is in abundance here, the kinds of minerals and elements on the earth, the fact that the earth rotates and the fact that it rotates not on a direct axis, but just slightly off. Those are all things that combine to make life here possible. And the odds when you combine all these together are just astronomically small. So if you put, rather than throw at you some really, really big numbers, I thought I would put it this way. There was someone who, a bit tongue-in-cheek, but using actual numbers, came up with this analogy. It is more likely that if you put a chimpanzee in front of a computer, that in one try, by random chance, that chimpanzee would type on the keyboard, word for word, the entire current version of Webster's Dictionary without a single error, then the odds are that the universe occurred by chance. (laughs) That's... That's, it sounds so ridiculous and impossible for that to ever happen, 
But those are the approximate odds. Let's go on to another topic. I could go on and on with science, but but I shall not. Next, let's take a look at scriptures. Just a few little highlights. Let's go to the Old Testament and describe, first of all, the absolute genius or divine wisdom, to me they're the same, of the Ten Commandments, the morality taught therein that brings happiness and goodness into the world where followed and the opposite when not. The explanation for existence in Genesis, although not in the correct scientific order, does show or describe the fact that God is behind everything. Those, to me, are miraculous descriptions beyond human ability. Next, we go to descriptions of God that I find particularly compelling, especially when you take a look at the way God is now over and over and over described in near-death experiences, and often from people who have never heard of scriptures, Christian scriptures, or have never read them because they're, say, Hindu or Muslim or live in a communist country like China or some other place, even people in those places have near-death experiences in which they see God as an incredibly brilliant, bright, loving entity or person. And that coincides with Exodus chapter 3, where Moses sees God in a burning bush— How would you ask, are those the same kind of description? Well, a burning fire from the era of Exodus is the brightest thing that you could find, perhaps absent the sun. It was incredibly bright, and here is Moses describing God as in a bush. He was so bright and brilliant that it looked like the bush was on fire. That's what Moses is saying. And then you get to Ezekiel chapter 43. To me, this is one of the lesser discussed but most compelling descriptions of God in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel chapter 43, the prophet sees the future temple after it's built and God coming to it. And if you read Ezekiel 43 carefully from the beginning, God is a person. He's a man, he's standing by Ezekiel, he's talking to him, and his glory is so bright that he illuminates the earth and the temple. He's this glorious, bright being, as with the burning bush, as with near-death experiences, as with Joseph Smith's first vision. All of these have the same kind of description. And now let's go to Near Testament accounts, because... We're limited in our time. You have the similar kinds of descriptions in the New Testament. For example, the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus is transfigured. What is the description there? He has become radiant in his glory. All of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and interestingly enough, also in 2 Peter, In chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, 
describe this transfiguration. Jesus and the three apostles, Peter, James, and John, go to a mountain, later called the Mount of Transfiguration. They go there to pray. On the mountaintop, Jesus begins to shine with bright rays of light. Then Old Testament individuals, Moses and Elijah, appear next to him, and they have a conversation. And these events are so close to the descriptions that we see in near-death experiences and, for those who are Latter-day Saints listening, to descriptions of visitations of Jesus and prophets to Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery in the Kirtland Temple. Now, there are many other accounts of Jesus appearing to people in pioneer times. These kinds of experiences with Jesus come in many forms, but they show that he is there listening to prayers, and he loves people and is kind to them. And to me, these sorts of descriptions are very, very compelling. When we come back from our break, the Book of Mormon, and reasons from the Book of Mormon that are compelling for me that God is real, that Jesus is real, that the restoration is true, and so forth. If you have a question or comment about this show or any other show, feel free to send me an email. Send it to martinstanner at gmail.com, martinstanner at gmail.com, and I will be happy to respond. We'll be right back after this. Religion Today with host Martin Tanner continues on KSL News Radio. We're back. This is our second segment of the program. Everyone listening, I would love to know that this program airs every Sunday at 6:30 in the morning and 9:30 in the evening. It's also a podcast that you can find on KSL Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all kinds of other places. So if you can't listen on a Sunday, feel free to do so on a podcast. Today we're talking about some of the positive reasons, the reasons why I find the restored gospel to be a reality and why I also find God and Jesus and a belief in the afterlife to be true and correct beliefs. Let's now go to the Book of Mormon. To me, there is just no question at all that this first work of any significance at all that Joseph Smith ever produced is from God. There is just no other explanation for it, no possible one. People have tried to come up with other sources than God through Joseph Smith, as in maybe Oliver Cowdery or some other person wrote this book and Joseph Smith acquired a copy of it. None of those stand up. Let me give you a few reasons why. First of all, there are things there neither Joseph Smith nor anyone else from his day really would have known that have later turned out to be true. 
Hebraisms, meaning words, ideas from ancient Judaism that were not known in Joseph Smith's time. A few simple ones. The construct state. We read in the Book of Mormon about a rod of iron and a river of water and an altar of stones. It's not the way we talk in English. We talk about an iron rod and a water river. Well, we don't even do that. We don't ever say that. The reason in ancient Jewish culture they might do it is because you would still call a dry wash a river, and then when it had water in it during certain times of the year, it would be a river of water. So the river was the place that water went down, not necessarily just the water itself. And we would, in English, modern English, say a stone altar. We wouldn't say an altar of stones. Those and dozens of other examples are ancient construct state phrases and words that Joseph Smith would not possibly have known. Other examples, proper names, Nahum, an ancient place that actually exists that Joseph Smith could never have found on a map, which we find in the Book of Mormon. The name Alma, which the Book of Mormon has as a man's name. And if Joseph Smith could have found that name at all, which he would not have because it wasn't available to him, And incidentally, the closest library to Joseph Smith, people say, oh, he researched it all out in the library. The closest library was the Manchester Library. It was about 10 miles away from Joseph Smith's home. It was in somebody's house, and it had a little over 200 books in it. And none of them, we know the titles, none of them would have been helpful in composing the Book of Mormon. It's just absurd to say that somehow he researched this out anywhere, anywhere. Let's get to some other ancient names that turn out to be to be real. Alma, the Book of Mormon says, is a man's name, but until recently, it was thought to be only a woman's name. Well, it turns out to be kind of like the name Terry is today. It can be a man or a woman's name. And so Alma, now we know, is both. The Book of Mosiah, as we pronounce it, Mosiah, that is sort of a transliteration of the ancient Hebrew word Moshiach, which is a transliteration of the word Messiah. So it's kind of like the book of salvation or the book of the Savior or the book of the Messiah. Someone had, Messiah had the same name that Jesus did or the Savior was intended to have. Another example is word print analysis. University of California at Berkeley had a Latter-day Saint a Jew and an atheist do a word print analysis that came up with the scientific conclusion that the Book of Mormon had multiple authors. Another one that's fascinating to me is the counting system in the Book of Mormon. Tell somebody to come up with a new, better, more um, efficient accounting system. How would they do that? Well, Joseph Smith did, or the Book of Mormon did, rather, in the fact that you have the 1237 counting system, all it takes is four numbers to come up with any number you want to make. Another one, ancient writing on metal plates in stone boxes. People used to think that was absurd. We now know that there are examples of that. Persian King Darius wrote on gold and silver plates that were placed in stone boxes at two corners of his ancient temple, which were discovered 
in the early 1900s. Unavailable to Joseph Smith. Another example, the Book of Mormon speaks of enormous numbers of people who died in the final battles. People thought that's impossible. Critics said that couldn't be. But recent LIDAR discoveries just a few years ago in 2018 show that there were at least 15 million and possibly up to 20 or 23 million people on the Yucatan Peninsula, more than enough to have been the source of that great number of people in the final battles. Let's talk about the Doctrine and Covenants now, move on with scriptures. One of the most incredible descriptions is of God and Jesus in Doctrine and Covenants 109 and 110. We also have descriptions there of Moses, Elijah, and Elias. They also echo these ancient descriptions that we find in the Bible, in the Mount of Transfiguration in the New Testament, and also in near-death experiences. I don't believe Joseph Smith could have come up with those descriptions just on his own. Next, we get to descriptions in near-death experiences, which were unknown to Joseph Smith and others in the Restoration, and people who many times didn't even know anything about Christianity or Judaism. One of the most amazing ones for me was an atheist named David Harrard, who saw Jesus and it changed him from an atheist into a Christian. He saw Jesus who saved him as a glorious, brilliant, wonderful, kind, bright, delightful, and person with a sense of humor. We also have Elaine Durham, who was told that she would, dear Elaine passed away a couple of years ago during the COVID epidemic. She saw she saw Jesus in her near-death experience and was told that she would find a group with which to associate. She left the Midwest where she was living to drive to see a friend of hers named Kim Clark, who lived in the Seattle area. Her car broke down in Salt Lake City. You can kind of guess the rest. The missionaries found her. She joined the church, and the rest is history. And then we have my dear friend, uh, who has also passed away, George Ritchie, who was a Christian but learn things that coincide with the restored gospel of Jesus Christ that were different from mainstream Protestant and Catholic beliefs about the second coming and about especially the progression of man, line upon line, precept on precept. And finally, I will just say but very little about personal experiences that I have had. I saw briefly in an open vision during the day, my mother, who appeared to me for just a few brief seconds after she died, I had been quite worried about her. I saw my mother. I know it was her, even though she looked much, much younger, younger than I had ever known her in my life. I also saw my daughter, who died when she was age 22, in a dream. She was so clear and crisp. It was unlike a normal dream. I could see every eyelash, every pore on her face, every strand of hair in her head, and she looked beautiful and happy. And that, to me, was not something that I could have conjured up. It was real. Join me again next week. I'm Martin Tanner. 
This is Religion Today.